Hey there, welcome to Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people doing cool stuff in e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. This is series one of 2021, and on this episode, I chat with Shimona Meheta, Managing Director of EMEA at Shopify. We look at predictions for 2021, whether D2C is being replaced by D2E, direct to everywhere, our brands are scaling responsibly, and the word on every iOS user's lips, Clubhouse. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Shimona, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you coming to me from? Uh, it's good to be with you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am sitting in, uh, well, not so sunny London right now. Uh, I'm over in Marlebone where I've been living for about a year. Very nice. I remember um, when you first came to London, we were at an event, the one where um, there was a bit of a Shopify deal on a terrace somewhere. and. Yes. You hadn't made your move yet. And I remember, I think Marlebone was one of the areas you were looking at. So I am glad to see you found your place and now you're nicely settled. That's That, that fills me with joy. Well, if you want to hear the funny part about it, one of my criteria when I was looking for a neighborhood is I wanted to be um, really quick to get to Heathrow because I knew I'd be traveling quite a bit internationally. And I wanted to be within a 30 minute walk of our office, which was in Holborn. Uh, and of course, we promptly entered COVID and none of those things are really relevant anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, y- yeah, you-, you may as well be living up in Leeds, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to, before we get you know um, into the Shopify sort of conversation, I- I'd love to know a little bit more about what led to the kind of you joining Shopify. Could you give me a little bit of insight into your journey before joining with those guys? Sure. Um you know, I actually like to say that my my career journey's been kind of a progressive work of self-awareness. Uh, and I feel like every role that I've had or every step in my career that I've taken, I've further figured out either something I'm really great at and where I can add value or impact or something that I'm really passionate about or that I need in order to feel fulfilled. Um, and I started like way back when actually in CPG in or FMCG in, in marketing, I was doing product management and brand management. Um, but I'd learned really quickly that I, I wanted to work on strategy. I wanted to impact change. I wanted to grow. And so I I'd then worked and I'd flipped over uh, to the market research side. And uh, it was really great because I got to work with, you know, the, VPs of sales and insights and marketing at really, really great companies, again, in in the FMCG world and food world predominantly. And I got to work on their strategy, which was really great. Um, But that world was really slow growth, right? We know that the the food and food service worlds only grow a couple of percent a year. And so I didn't feel like there was a lot of space for like innovation and excitement and building things. It was more maintaining. Um, And that's really what led to me flipping over to, to tech, uh, so before Shopify, I was with a, a startup 
uh, in the market research world that was building a software platform um, and they were based out of Berlin. And that was where I really found and attached to like the thing I really love, which is building things. Like there's so much opportunity, obviously in a fast growth startup world to have extreme ownership, to build things, to just grab a hold of problems and solve them, to like live in ambiguity, which was wonderful. Um, and so, and I really, I just, I fell in love with the world, both of startups and of, and of tech in general. Uh, and then of course that ended up leading to uh, me being at Shopify the last few years uh, and getting to be a part of something where I really felt like I could be mission and values led, where I could build something the way that I really, really wanted to build something. And could you describe maybe like how that the, the Shopify culture has matched onto some of your personal kind of desires there? Like, it, it, did it did it meet your kind of cultural expectations immediately? Has it changed whilst you're there? And like, what what does what is it like compared to maybe some of those other organizations that you've 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 been exposed to? Yeah, I'd say it's it's really uniquely um, mission and values led. Uh, I think that anyone who's worked for any amount of time has probably worked at a company where the mission and values were somewhat aspirational and what everyone maybe endeavored towards. But at the end of the day, very often, you know, short-term goals and revenue could drive decision-making. Uh, and so I remember uh, as I was, you know, exploring coming over to Shopify, the thing that I had identified was I really want to build things uh, and, and I want to build something really awesome and at fast pace and take really great ownership of things. But leadership was really important to me. And I really wanted to build people and teams. But I wanted to do it the right way in a way that we could build for the long term and for sustainable growth. Uh, and so uh, I remember it was my first interview, actually, with uh, Mark Bergen, who at the time was my uh, going to be my boss. He's now the, the VP of sales for, for Shopify globally. And I remember asking him a question. He'd just been at Shopify for a few months at that point because Shopify Plus had just gone from kind of cute experiment of Shopify's to, oh shit, this is a thing. We need to build an entire commercial organization and, and product strategy around it. Um, and it was my turn to ask questions in the interview. And and I asked him what was what he was most focused on over the next few months. I was just trying to get a sense of where he was at. Was it you know international growth? Was it a number? What was going on? And what he said to me was actually the reason I came to Shopify. Uh, and he said, Shimona, if at the, you know, when people walk out of our doors in the next two, three, four or five years, if we've set them up for success in their careers, that's success in everything that we do. And that right there told me that I was coming to an organization where if we focused on building really great people who delivered the best possible merchant experience or customer experience, everything else works out. And that was when I was sold. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so give me a bit of a state of play at, at, at kind of Shopify at the moment. Like, you know, what does the team around you look like? Um, I mean, I know you're, you're, you're now in the managing director role. So like, you know, what, what does it look like, you know, at the moment? Oh, it's been a lot of fun here in, in Europe for the last couple of years. Um, I, uh, so I originally stepped into the role to lead Shopify Plus uh, EMEA back in 2019, uh, and then of course moved over at the end of that year. And so the, the, my first couple of years leading plus, 
I spent most of last year actually building a leadership team. Um, we've been growing very quickly in Europe and we're increasing our investment here. And what that means is building the entire commercial organization that will really focus on and build for the merchant landscape and our partnerships landscape here uh, in Europe. So that's you because it's so uniquely us. Uh, so most of last year was spent in building um, the leadership team. And of course, now uh, stepping into the role as managing director for all of EMEA for Shopify. Um, right now, we are a team of, uh, a, a, I've got a group, I think, of about uh, you know 10 or 12 leaders that have stepped in that are really starting to build the foundation of all of our commercial organization. So everything from marketing right through to customer success and to support and everything in between our partnerships ecosystem, of course. And, you know, we've established really well in the UK right now, as well as in Germany. And we're just continuing to like figure out how do we make sure that we do this well across France and Spain and Italy and market by market? How do we make sure that we've entered well and that we're really focused on localizing for our merchants and our markets uh, country by country? And a big part of this kind of podcast series is kind of a, I suppose, a look back and a look forward, um, given some of the, you know, um, uniqueness of the of, of the last 12 months so <laughs> I, w I wanted to maybe start there uh, for a bit and just get your take on um what you know what, what did you think of 2020 ha you know has it has it been a change agent has it been an accelerant you know from your position which is a, is a really unique one what were some of your key takeaways mm, uh, I think a couple of things Tim uh maybe from a couple of different perspectives I think from it when it comes from the way that we work and build teams and build organizations and go to market, um, it's been a real change agent. Um, you know, Shopify uh, last year, May, we announced that we were going digital by design. And so we're moving most of our organization remote, which is, uh, which is great because we now are opening ourselves to incredible talent regardless of location. Um, but it also means that we have to start to think about how we engage teams differently. How do we go to market differently? I know, of course, in you know your world as an example, right? Like there's the, those in-person meetings, the opportunity for you and I to meet on a rooftop bar and, and really build a relationship has been taken away from us. So thinking about how you go to market, how we build our funnels, how we continue to drive um, merchant success has to change. Um, from every angle and really starts from uh, how we build engaged teams who can operate really well at home. Where it's been, I think, an accelerant though, is in retail generally and the trends that we've seen. Um, I think COVID was really just the tailwind that accelerated, you know, the everything that we've seen for the last few years, that that continued move in digital transformation, the uh, the continued movement and growth of D to C, you know, consumers really being in charge, the transformation of brick and mortar. So total tailwind there where we've seen, I think 2030 come forward, um, but a real change, change agent in how, you know, you and I have to build our organizations and our teams. And um, that's interesting. With the kind of going fully remote, I'd love to ask you because I've been grappling with this concept myself of like, how do you sort of mix the in-person team stuff versus Zoom, for instance? Mm -hmm. And you guys are, are really distributed. So do you like 
uh, meet up in in your localized pockets, but then everything else where you've got cross-functional teams who aren't in the right time zone, is that all on Zoom? Or are you trying to just get everyone in the same place at the same time at like one part in the year and then everything else is sort of both on Zoom and then localized kind of meetups with the guys that are on the ground in whatever country they are? Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of an all of the above, Tim. I mean, right now, of course, put aside the fact that everyone is locked down everywhere right now. But as we move to hopefully a more ideal or open state where we can move between, you know, cities and countries, um, I would imagine, you know, our small teams are going to want to find ways to get together, you know, whether it's once or twice a month and find ways to collaborate, to innovate, to work together, mm. calling sessions if they're in sales, um, really brainstorm. Um, and then to pull our bigger, broader teams together, you know, in order to share performance, to talk about our mission, to mm -hmm. talk about the direction where we're headed, to really engage teams, get them excited. Um, that's got to happen once or twice a year too. So I think it's a mix of all of the above. Um, and it's going to also depend on you just where people are located and their situations and how they're able to be successful as a team. Um, I, 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 in doing some research for, for our discussion, um, yeah. I came across your, your business of fashion um, talk that's now on on, on YouTube. So and 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 the topic was how to scale responsibly. Um, and you touched on the the, the Allbirds Adidas collaboration, and, and it really got me thinking. Um, and one of the observations I took away is that it's a like mutually beneficial partnership. So you've kind of got challenger brands that can leverage the audience and scale of an established retailer, and then maybe you've got like an established retailer that can maybe tap into a more conscious consumer. Um, What's your kind of perspective on that? Is that is that a correct thesis or, you know, tell me where I may have gotten it wrong and, and are there pros and cons to that kind of collaborative approach? I, I think that, um, so if you were to talk to Allbirds uh, and any of the, the folks there, the thing that you would hear from them is how passionate they actually are about their mission, right? They're, they're incredibly passionate about us reducing our carbon footprint globally. And that's the core. And so they, they don't walk into anything with the mindset that they want to hang on to this incredible technology that they've developed to build these, these shoes that they have, which are absolutely amazing. What they're trying to do is find a way to further that mission of reducing our carbon footprint. And so it's, it's about the mission and actually expanding on that versus trying to hold on to or hoard a technology. Uh, and this is the authenticity behind, um, you know, being a sustainable brand that I think is so important, right? They're, they're truly making decisions that are based on like that mission that they have. So I think the, the pro is that we actually see what an authentic brand they are and we actually, they are actually able to do something to accelerate the rate of change in order to achieve that mission. Um, the one, uh, the one area that I'm sure that they're incredibly careful is, is that you, you just got to be careful of who you're partnering with, right? <laughs> are they, uh, do they believe in what you believe in? Are, do they, do they truly align with your company and your mission and your values? Or are they going to be the right partner for you? Um, and what I think is really exciting about that Allbirds and Adidas one is it feels like a match made in heaven where they really are headed the same direction together, right? So this is not a, not just about, you know, share of shoe sales. This is about furthering a mission to actually make the world better, which is so noble. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. Like I think as a consumer, you kind of know when it fits and when it 
doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume, yeah, I mean, th- they must be thinking about this stuff, right, you know, at, at their size and, and, and their visibility. They wouldn't. It would be very interesting to see a uh, All Birds Philip Morris collaboration. I can't see that sticking <laughs> as much as the All right. Birds and the Adidas. But it is interesting though, because I saw some stuff. I was I, I was going to make the analogy of like, oh, an All Birds um, a Shell or BP collaboration would seem odd, but in some ways, I do see a lot of those. Uh, you know, particularly energy companies seem to be making you know a, a push towards renewables, and their messaging is all about kind of you know you know the future and i think obviously they've got huge amounts of work to get there but it, it's obviously a thing that they're thinking about um but yeah that that fit of of collab is is a very interesting interesting piece and mm-hmm. i i suppose taking on from from that idea and you you talked about this, you know the, the digital adoption that's been accelerated over the last 12 months um what's your thoughts on kind of some of how, how an established brand would maintain relevance in 2021 and beyond is it you know is it purely digital adoption or is it you know maybe something wider than that um i think there's a it's, there's a couple of things here and I, I think it really comes back to um how they tell their story and how they connect with and find their customers. Um, I actually think there's going to be quite a bit of change uh, over the next year, of course, knowing you know some of the regulations changing around Facebook and iOS 14 and all of those things. And so that cost of acquisition is going up, which means that um, customers are going to have to get really, um, brands are going to have to get really targeted and creative in how they think about acquisition um, and telling their story and creating experiences. Um, this last year has also brought so many new people to shop online. 150 million people tried online shopping in the last year for the first time. So you've got more people in the space, but that also means you've got more competitors that you're going to deal with. And so you've got to get really creative and ensure that you're cutting through and telling your story really well and targeting your customer well. And on the flip side, because that cost of acquisition is going up, you really have to think about your lifetime value. And so thinking about building deep loyalty and communities uh, and continuing to push that that lifetime value is going to be really important. And that's going to be through, sure, digital experiences and loyalty programs uh, and and all of those things, but really wowing um, customers at every single step. 150 million. Isn't that mad? Yes. That is crazy. <laughs> that is madness. That is just, that is a fantastic statistic, I reckon. You know, like 150 million people shopped online for the first time. That is, that's quite something. Um, <laughs> I suppose, yeah, following on this kind of, this this topic then, um, and, and yeah, things are getting more challenging, right? Um, but then there's opportunity at the same time. So it's, it's, it's an interesting position to be in. But, you know, I think the term direct consumer has been around for a while and there was some great, um, you know, uh, direct consumer success stories and continue to be, but I feel that they're finding it more and more challenging, particularly with things like the the cost of acquisition, as you, as you kind of mentioned and, and, and just generally competition. So is like a term like direct to everywhere, a slightly more realistic concept or, you know, kind of omni-channel is that still, you know, relevant in, in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, I think that everyone has to think of uh, their multi-channel or omni-channel strategies. Uh, and again, this is, the, I think they need to think about it faster than they may have over the last few years if they'd been putting it off or procrastinating that kind of digital transformation. Um, I think direct to consumer, 
uh, is still incredibly relevant uh, regardless of, of channel actually, because it could be through social channels that can be through, um, you know, through your uh, other owned channels. It can be through your offline channel as well. The, and it's, so maybe you're right, direct to everywhere is, is kind of a more relevant term, but it's, it's how are you ensuring that you directly are dealing with that customer? One, so you can continue to own the experience, but the other, which is, I think, so important, um, which you lose other, you know, through marketplaces and, and other B2B type channels is it's the data. Mm-hmm. And learning and understanding and knowing your customer deeply. So finding ways to ensure that you are owning the pathway so that you have the data to like deeply understand that customer and continue to be able to tweak your messaging and and expand on your relationship with them. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? I see a lot of parallels between that concept and Shopify and the food space, right? So mm. Deliveroo is the Amazon well, they're going to invest in them, right? So it's the Amazon of the, of the kind of like food <laughs> right. delivery space. And then there's, you know, um, these newer challenger direct consumer platforms for food brands that have totally accelerated in the last 12 months. And I, I do see like that big proposition there that you get to own more of the data as a massive one, um, particularly things around food, you know, which is such a sometimes intimate thing. So knowing exactly how people order and when and I was quite surprised to learn that Deliveroo didn't give you that that info as a user I thought they may give you a little bit of insight but you know from what I understand you get very 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 little information so yeah I think that 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 bit there to get getting close to the customer from a brand perspective is one but then understanding more about what it is that they're and how they're interacting with you that's how you make the decisions right Uh, absolutely and again like marketplaces or what a great analogy and crossover to Deliveroo. These are really great ways, right, for brand discovery, you know, to push volume. It could be a really important part of a brand strategy. Um, The thing I always warn against is don't make it the only part of your strategy because you have to think about your margins and, you know, you're going to have the fees that you're paying. You've got to think about being able to tell your brand's story and how you're, you know, caring for that. And um, of course, there's always the, the thought that you get lost within all of the other competitors that are there, or of course, the marketplace copycatting and white labeling and, and now cutting you out. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I wanted to direct our thoughts to to the future <laughs> and I would love to understand how you're seeing um, like 2021 and the rest of this year and into next kind of playing out like any predictions that you've got and I suppose I'm, I'm really interested in like that direct consumer or, or just digital adoption right particularly from established brands do, do you think we're going to kind of continue to see that acceleration or do you think there's a bit of a wave and it'll maybe plateau out a little bit and then sort of start to rise again as people try and I don't know, just come to grips with what's gone on the last year and kind of get their heads around it and move from there? No, I, I think it's just going to continue to accelerate. Um, and I also think that the pace of change will accelerate as well. Um, I think one of the things we always have to remember is the the rise of the adoption of digital does not equal the death of brick and mortar and vice versa, right? It's This is not a one or the other. It's not binary. It's actually both. Um, and both actually need to transform. So from the digital side, um, remember, we've now all had a year to continue to get used to 
um, you know, buying everything online. Those 150 million people that tried online for the first time are buying all of their essentials. We've seen rapid growth of all of those essential things like home and office and grocery and things like that. Those are habits that are forming for good. Um, and then the, the rest of us that were, you know, heavy adopters like myself, <laughs> you know, I just continue, you know, further and further to, you know, discover brands wherever they are and they find ways to target me. And I have a room full of, you know, boxes that I have to take out to recycling because I'm shopping in the middle of the night. Um, that, But the pace of change is going to accelerate. There's a few things that are going to be super important, Tim, I think. One is... Um, Actually, I'm looking at it as like the for consumers, we're raising both the floor as well as the ceiling. And, and what I mean by floor is like just table stakes, simplicity, immediacy, convenience are really, really important right now, right? Those, those people that are trying online shopping for the first time, um, we have to make it really simple for them to navigate sites and to find you and to make purchases. So making sure there's simplicity in that buying path convenience, right? People still want to buy local. So, um, you know, can we, can you use your, your um, brick and mortar presence as you know, kind of a buy online pickup curbside um, space so that people still feel like they're shopping local? Uh, and of course, immediacy, ensuring that you're shipping quickly and that you've got inventory and, and all of those things. So that's just table stakes is ensuring that simplicity and immediacy. On the other side, raising the ceiling is really rich digital experiences. Um, you know, people want to be wowed at every step, whether that's how we tell the story, whether it's the offers um, that we're creating, whether it's that consistency through multi-channel, or of course, new technology, right? AR and VR and video and product and ways that we continue to wow people with the experience. And and I'd say actually, lastly, as we start to open up, it's going to be really great, rich offline experiences too. Um, people need to feel like they're a part of the brand when they walk in the door, not just walking into a place that's just kind of a inventory, inventory stock of, of goods. Um, we're going to need to create experiences and brick and mortar to get people out and get people engaged. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I'm drawn to the comparisons of walking down Oxford Street in London yes. and visiting Sports Direct and then going up a little bit further and visiting the Nike store. And the, and the right. stark difference is just, yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of binary, really. Um, I wanted to just maybe leave the predictions and, 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 and the past and the future um, on the kind of general market sort of side. Um, for the moment and just you know, sure. come back to you and um so could you give me some insight what, what do you think your biggest challenges as as a managing director for europe um, um at shopify plus are in the coming year honestly the the number one tim is um you know through compassionate leadership is um ensuring that our teams have a healthy environment to engage uh, and to feel motivated with everything happening in the world, with people having to deal with, you know, childcare at home and all of the other political things happening in this world. And of course, just in many cases, isolation. Um, the number one thing on my mind every single morning when I wake up is, um, is ensuring that our people are, they're healthy, they're taking time to recharge, that they're able to care for their families. Um, and still be able to feel like they're engaging and able to have impact and add value at work because that's so important to them. So 
Um, by far in a way that is my number one challenge uh, as a managing director. Everything else becomes secondary because when you have, uh, I love that Richard Branson quote, right? When you, you take care of your people and they'll take care of your customers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so everything else will happen, you know, our continued expansion into new markets and caring for our merchants and getting to build experiences for them and, and all of those things will happen. Um, but top of mind for me all the time is our team. And, and um, that's really good insight. It, just to sort of um, take that concept and explore it a little bit further. Have you got any tips or have you got like tools that you guys are using? Like, do you use like the Calm app or, you know, is there something where you're trying to leverage some of the, um, I suppose, explosion or, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the health and wellness space is getting much more full of things that we can use. And, and is that something that you guys do or is it just a case by case basis and, and you kind of like working with people one-on-one -on -one to sort of get them to the point that they need to excel? Uh, a little bit of both, because I think the um, the thing that uh, we really learned is everyone's experience through this last year is is really different, and what they actually need in order to feel well and to manage their lives is different, right? Someone. Uh, you know, maybe such as myself, who's alone and away from family, I have, a, you know, maybe just different challenges feeling isolated versus um, <clears throat> our head of sales, Jim Rudolph, who's at home with four children under 12 years old and is dealing with just, you know, trying to keep his kids motivated and 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 homeschool and, and all of those things, right? And so Jim just might need just time to be able to flex his day and to shut off and to take care of his family versus myself, an extrovert who loves being around people. I want more time to connect with my people in a different way. So um, we've absolutely, we actually, over the last year, we've uh, we've actually added mental health and wellness um, benefits for our people, including counseling and therapy uh, that they have access to. Um, you know, uh, over the summer last year, we actually shut down on Fridays at Shopify because we really wanted to give our people, again, more space to relax, recharge and be with their families. Um, I've been uh, we've been doing all kinds of wellness. We've got really talented people who are in fitness and uh, are, you know, yogis and meditators. And so yep. they're leading classes on a weekly basis. So it's kind of a multi-pronged approach, but I think the real key is that um, everyone needs different things. Yeah. And it, it feels like it starts with a sort of cultural thing, right. Of being accepting and being aware that this is a thing. Cause if you're aware and then you understand, okay, there's, there's um, different scenarios, but at the core of it, we're trying to get people, um, to a place where they can excel all the time, but you know, definitely in a unique environment that they're all in at the moment, then yeah, that, that, that's a good place to be. And I think that's something to be taking from. Um, maybe a, a solution would be you and Jim swap for a day, but I don't know. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm sure he would love that. I don't, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if his kids would appreciate that though. <laughs> um, I, I was going to ask you like, what does a typical day look like? But to be honest, I think that's a bit of a shitty question. Cause it's like, <laughs> there's never, you know, it's always the same answer. It's like, uh, well, there's never a typical day. So I wanted to rephrase it. And like, what does your perfect day look like? ideal day how does that look and that, and that could be both like you know at work before work after work whatever it is what does the ideal day look like for you uh okay that is a great question um so the ideal day um i get to sleep in till eight because i'm not a morning person nice. um and 
uh, wake up, shower, have a walk and go grab some coffee. Uh, I've got a, there's a really great place, Black Sheep Coffee near me that I love to go to um, before I start my day. And in an ideal world, my day is filled with talking to my teams. Um, like I love to do impromptu coffee chats with my team where anyone can drop in and, you know, ask questions or we can talk or we can laugh together. So that's probably one of those sessions, uh, probably a couple of one-on-ones with my, uh, with my leaders. I get to talk to a couple of merchants, which is my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I'll probably go work out. Uh, and go for a walk. I'm really, where I feel really lucky right now is, you know, it's 14 degrees in London today. And I think it's minus 14 in Toronto where I'm from. So I get the benefit of going out for a walk and then going to the gym. Um, And I'm probably listening to a podcast and then I'm probably cooking dinner at home. Very nice. I I mean, that, that, the, the, that is a fantastic day. That is a lovely, relaxing, but also um, involved. Yeah. Okay. That's nice. And, and, so you, you mentioned you're, you're not necessarily an early bird. What, does that mean you're a bit of a night owl? Would you, you know, kind of continue on into the night or is that it kind of switch off after dinner? I am so bad with sleep hygiene, Tim. Like, <laughs> you know, every, you know, you know, every like expert list we've seen of all the things to make sure that you do to get really great sleep at night. I'm, I'm terrible with <laughs> I'm totally. I come alive around four o'clock, I think. And, and so I'm wired. I am notoriously guilty for my brain working at 2am and people will wake up to slack messages from me with just all the ideas that started to circulate in my head in the middle of the night. Maybe that's not, I mean, maybe again, it's, it's self-awareness and acknowledgement that that's just how, how you work. Right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I'd be interested to again, take a slight look back as we're going Mm. forward and pausing and going into time here, but like, what has been the most rewarding part of your career and um, maybe what's been the most challenging? Uh, my answer is actually the same for both of your questions. Um, it's last year. Uh, easily the most challenging, um, you know, the, we had, I had a great plan for the year, Tim, for 2020. <laughs> I'm sure you did too, did, um, yes. which, which, right, which went out the window uh, within a couple of months. And, uh, and, and so it was that pause and that pivot that we took, not just into me and our team, but actually across Shopify as we thought about what we needed to do to help merchants immediately. What did we need to build? How did we need to focus on them? Um, and so building an, uh, building an organization uh, and with as much hiring actually as we did last year and onboarding people completely remote. Um, I've got, I've got folks in my team that I hired that I've never met in person, you know, like we're, we're a box to each other right now. And and so, and then of course, keeping everyone healthy and trying to figure out how we manage through this and make people feel, you know, safe to take time away and all of the things that we dealt with last year, Um, easily the most challenging, um, especially when you yourself are going through so much, right? Like all of us were exhausted. And so finding a way to lead with the right level of compassion and vulnerability, um, but providing hopefully strength and vision to your team was was quite a challenge. Um, But it was also the most rewarding because we all felt like we were in it together. And we all learned, I think last year, um, actually how resilient we are. Uh, and I think it was beyond anything that any of us might have imagined before. And we ended up having an 
incredible year supporting merchants and we accomplished things and we shipped things that I don't think we ever thought we could have. Um, and so it was also the most rewarding because we did more than I think we ever thought that we were capable of. Well, it's interesting because I suppose it, um, going back to the start of 2020, you know, Eisenhower said something like plans are nothing or planning is everything or something like that. So it's, it's interesting that that, yeah, it definitely holds true. But um, that's a really interesting insight. Um, I want to ask a slightly um, tangential question. Uh, sure. Getting back to more of you, like what would you be doing if you weren't at Shopify Plus? Ooh. Okay, so there's there's potentially two answers here. Um, it, one, uh, building uh, building and uh, leading another organization. Uh, I just my life's work. I'm I'm meant to build really great teams and build people. And uh, I think it's really important that we have more and more prominent women leaders in this world mm -hmm. that demonstrate what it's like. Uh, that it's really a good thing for us to build creative, innovative teams that are made up of diverse kinds of leadership and people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one side, because that's just my passion and life's work. Or, Tim, honestly, on the flip side, I have days where I just want to move to Bali and like, <laughs> set up a fruit stand and just have a really simple life living on a beach somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you ever go through I, that? <laughs> yeah, I totally hear you. And and I think it... I think it, 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 it it's not dissimilar to the concept of, you know, it's sort of getting towards spirituality a little bit, right? Like you could become mm -hmm. a monk and go and sit on a mountain somewhere, which is kind of like the, the beach in Bali, right? And everything is bliss and the, the sort of the banalities of our normal day that, you know, kind of get us worked up are just not there. And you just kind of just let go and it's just easy. And yeah, there's, there's something um, beautiful in that concept. Mm -hmm. Um, but my, my challenge to that would be, you know, I think someone like you and, and I would fall into that bucket would find that challenging because we want to do stuff and build, you know what I mean? So, and I think that that's why we have holidays to Bali, <laughs> but I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could live there, if you know what I mean, in, in that state forever, but yeah, I but it's balance maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. It's like trying to find I that agree. balance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'd be maybe six months tops and then I'd be itching to build something again. Yeah, I'm thinking you'd be pretty sick of the beach on Bali. You'd be wanting to build some stuff and do some really cool stuff, you know. Not to say that the Bali stuff wouldn't be interesting, but yeah, I could see another tech company on the rise. Um, another, this is this is a, a highly topical but also slightly tangential question. Um, Clubhouse, underrated mm. or overrated? Um, so I... Um, I've been kind of watching it from the periphery for a while. Um, you know, you can just see so many people talking about it on Twitter. And I wasn't sure at first if it was just a place for a bunch of VCs to talk to each other and, and uh, it like almost like a little, yeah, like a little club room. But it seems to be um, really expanding. And I think actually, Tim, that we've just hardly scratched the surface of what this medium is going to be and the value it can add. Um, it feels like it's becoming a really great place for uh, potentially for really great transparent conversation, um, for ideation and brainstorming together, for those on the spot podcasts, um, you know, to just 
kind of dive in and dive out in a way that's really great. I love that it's audio only because it makes it easier to be able to, you know, multitask and do many things in this world that we're all sitting in at home. So yeah, I actually think that there's a lot more to come from Clubhouse and we've just kind of barely scratched the surface of what we could, the value that could come from it. We've started playing with it as well. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Toby and Harley have been jumping in and having some conversations yep. in the last week. Uh, and over here in EMEA, um, you know, uh, some of our leaders, both in France and Italy, have been playing with it. I'm going to start playing around in a couple of rooms in the next couple of weeks. And we're just going to see what comes of it. What kind of conversations do we have? Um, you know, what kind of ideas can we uh, can we actually share with each other? Yeah, I agree. I think I think that the uh, the immediate authentic the immediate authentic nature of it is quite interesting, right? Like mm. the, the, listening to stuff pre-recorded, like we're doing now, it, it is great. But that there is a that there is the uh, ability to enhance it or to change it and to edit it, and you know, like being able to hear those live conversations is is, is is quite refreshing. I find it so strange though, like that's a really good point about the audio medium being very convenient. It is very convenient and yet it, it's like a really old medium. It's talkback radio, you know what I mean? It's like live live radio. It's 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 been around for, for some time. But I, I've been um I've been dabbling and um sort of yeah it's just kind of checking it out. And my analogy at this point is I'm in a um a virtual like expo center where there's a whole bunch of um like forums and conferences going on in different rooms and yeah. i'm kind of like walking down the hallway and i'm seeing the sign on the door i'm like oh that sounds interesting and i go into the room and i sit in the audience i'm like oh this is sick this is like a great conversation and i might put my hand up and ask some questions and then i'll continue on down the hallway and then i'll open one door and i'm like oh what's in here don't quite know what's going on and i get in there i'm like oh, okay i'm gonna leave quietly now <laughs> as quickly as i've possibly can and get the hell out of there so it, it, it's a yeah it's a wild world have you thought about um transferring this podcast over to clubhouse at all are you going to play with it yeah i i there's a couple of things going on one uh with, with so this is obviously tim and i'm part of we make websites the we make websites hat on i i wonder the the meetups that we used to do um that were a great source of info and um like insight for the shopify community in london has has gone and i think this is a great medium for it to can to, to to bring it back um so i think that that could be interesting and then on the on the uh, podcast front yeah i was thinking because i do my podcasts in seasons like either before and after the season it would be cool to get all the guests that i've got on in a room and we just chat um oh cool and, and then people might want to you know tune in before so you give them a bit of a teaser as to what's coming or or you round out the the season and you kind of like particularly if there's kind of a theme you know you can all kind of chat about it so yeah i, I definitely one thing i've noticed is though if, if you want you know a decent number of attendees you need to have a few of the moderators who have got quite a big presence on there i think i mm -hmm. think that that's that's kind of my observation um but yeah we'll see I, like you said it's, it's growing and building I'm, I'm very interested to see where it goes I'm keen to sort of start to draw it to a close. I've got, I've got a couple of final questions. Um, the first one would be, what would be, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, say yes more often and to be more vulnerable. I, I spent a lot of the first part of my career, I think, uh, trying to separate work self from, you know, 
quote, real self or outside of yep. work self. Yep. Uh, and one of the things I think I've gotten better at is m- allowing the two to merge together and just being me regardless of where I am and being my authentic self, um, which means, you know, uh, learning to be more vulnerable, which I think is making me a better leader as well. Um, uh, and the the saying yes more often is, you know, not allowing fear to hold back any decision-making or any leap I want to take. Um, say yes and figure it out. That's interesting. I see parallels in those two things, right? It's kind of vulnerable on, on, on both sides. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting insight into that leadership quality. And I think it's something that a lot of leaders miss. Yes. And there is a, there is a, uh, there's a really good, um, uh, HBR podcast about the two leadership styles, the, um, the attractive leadership style and the power leadership style and mm-hmm. the power leadership style is that typical one that we always see. And it's usually, you know, a white male, powerful, I'm the CEO, you know, that, that, that's it, you know, and they're just trudging through and they're, you know, the very little empathy and they, you know, they're not vulnerable at all. And that's, you know, that's how you lead. That's how you lead a country. That's how you lead a business. And then they talked about the attractive leadership style, which is, which is, which is vulnerable. It's aware. Um, and it's like, um, in touch with yourself and you, you, you kind of, it's all about building relationships and, and, and it can be seen as not the right leadership style because it's not this, you know, ideal power thing that we've kind of all got in our heads. And I think it's really good to see people look at that attractive leadership style and take from it and find that balance where you need to make hard calls, but also be vulnerable because that's where you build trust with people. When you're vulnerable, you build trust and that's how we win, right? Absolutely. Actually, I, as you were talking, I just pulled something up. I read a, a also an HBR article yesterday around imposter syndrome, um, and actually, women uh, actually, uh, you know, go through imp- what we call imposter syndrome more disproportionately more than men. Um, and anyway, there's a really great quote in there, though, generally about like those those two types of leadership. Um, and so according to studies that arrogance and overconfidence are inversely related to leadership talent, which is the ability to build and maintain high performing teams and to inspire followers to set aside their selfish agendas in order to work for the common interest of the group. Uh, and so again, that it's that putting aside maybe a false facade of maybe confidence or, or arrogance. And that's really to me where vulnerability comes in. The, you know, the first time, uh, I stepped into leadership, you know, many years ago now, I really did step in thinking that I was supposed to know everything for my team. I needed to provide them the answers. Um, and of course, over time, I've learned that that's actually not at all the case. That's that's not my job. My job is to empower them to figure out the answers and to learn from them and to ensure that I'm creating the right path for them. And so that does take a lot of vulnerability. I'm going to round it out. Um, when lockdown ends, <laughs> what and where is your first destination? And I, and I will help you out with this question. It, it can be, do you know what I mean? Uh, you can be as hypothetical as you want. It can be a restaurant. It can be a holiday destination. It could be, you know, back to see your folk, you know, whatever it is, you know, like yeah. just tell me wh- where is it and, and what is it? Um, the literal most immediate thing is a spa for a pedicure. <laughs> <laughs> um, as soon as things are open again, but my first destination, um, 
uh, we started this conversation, you know, we were talking about me moving to London. And of course, one of the things I've been most excited about moving here was this access to being, you know, to all the amazing travel destinations in Europe within a couple of hours. Uh, and so truly, my first destination is to get on a plane and head to uh, whether it's the south of France or it's a beach uh, in Spain or it's to Italy. Uh, I actually don't know yet. I, I would love recommendations, but uh, I just need to get on a plane and go somewhere where I can look at the water. I couldn't agree more, but <laughs> I, I'll give you one. And that would be um, my girlfriend's folks have got a house in um, uh, Puglia in Italy. So the southern part of Italy. Yeah. And I think it was kind of, you know, it had been not a huge tourist destination um, in the past. I think it's getting a little bit more popular, but it's it's super beautiful. It's got everything, food, nice weather, sea, it's lovely. That sounds like heaven. <laughs> it's on the list. <laughs> on the list. Right. Um, Shimona, thank you so much for joining me. That was fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me, Tim. This was a fun conversation. There you go. Massive thank you to Shimona for joining me. Before I head off, a quick word from my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. As always, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, download, and tell your mates on Clubhouse to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.